Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's Tuesday, December 13th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download Podcast brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, there's growing interest in Frederick County to examine what books kids have access to in their school libraries and potentially remove some of them. Nearly 1,000 people have signed up to be on a committee to decide which on the list get to stay. WTOP's Kate Ryan tells us where the process goes from here. For example, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, Judy Bloom, the young adult author, her books have been targeted before, a newer book like George M. Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue that deals with issues of sexuality is on this list as well. There are a slew of others, though. We're, We're looking at 35 books. And we have some big news to share about this podcast. We're going weekly. Megan and I sit down to talk about the details of the change and when it'll start. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. The controversy over which books kids should be allowed to access in school libraries is playing out in Frederick, Maryland. The school district has nearly 1,000 applicants to pick from, all wanting the job of deciding which books to keep and which ones to remove. It's an issue that makes many shake their heads, but others concerned that not all literature is appropriate for young readers. WTOP's Kate Ryan is here to tell us how this process is going to determine whether these books get to stay in Frederick County School Libraries. Kate, thanks for being here. Sure. Um, So let's just start at the very beginning. How did the question over these 35 books future (laughs) in libraries begin? Right. There were complaints from a total of three people, one who was a uh, candidate for school board and who lost, Um, and who has made clear uh, it's the sexual content in these books Mm. that is most disturbing to her. Um, And she also mentioned in a recent school board meeting, she's looking at a total of 300 books. And as we mentioned, there's 35 books on the metaphorical chopping block here. Why these 35? Well, again, from what we know, this person has cited the sexual content. But to give you an idea of what books are on the list, and these come up again and again, Over the years, for example, Kurt Vonnegut's Mm Slaughterhouse-Five has been a perennial among people who challenge books in schools. Judy Bloom, the young adult author, her books have been targeted before. A newer book like George M. Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue that deals with issues of sexuality is on this list as well. There are a slew of others, though. We're, We're looking at 35 books. I don't know of any school system that has looked at a total of 35 at a given time. Mm. When I talked to Kevin Cuppert at um, Frederick County School System, I asked him about that, and he said the last time they had a challenge, it was one book. Um, so this this is rare. However, he did say this is a national phenomenon. A right. lot of school districts are going through this, and he said that this particular list seems to show up again and again in other regions. Hmm. Okay. So there's this effort now to choose a group that will decide whether these books will stay in school libraries. And I imagine with what Luke said was nearly a thousand people already who have applied to be in this group, 
Um, how is the school district going about choosing who gets to uh, decide and do they have to have a certain background? Well, there is a very involved process. First off, you should know that there has been a process in place under uh, the county regulations. Okay. And this is not something they've had uh, build from the ground up. However, they've never had to do it with so many people. Right. Now, they are not going to have a thousand people on this, I believe, and I need to double check this, but it's going to be in the 30s or 40s. Okay. So it's going to be a large panel. Who gets to be on it? Students, teachers, administrators, parents, community members. They don't have to have kids in school, but those community members who want to be on this board must have some familiarity with either library science, constitutional issues, mm. or whether or not uh, developmentally these books should be in at a school library for a given grade level, for example. So they're the ones who have to have some kind of background in order to make the cut. Some of these are going to be, once they narrow the groups, there will be um, a kind of a lottery selection for people from different high schools, mm. what feeder schools, et cetera. But again, there is a process for this. It's just they've got a large pool that they have to winnow down, and they hope to have that done by the start of the new year. And a quick look at cable news channels, you see that this is a big national issue. It kind of fits in that realm of culture wars. Is Frederick County doing anything to ensure that, you know, those noises from the outside don't get in this local issue? I don't know. I don't know if that specifically, but I will say I asked him, how do you keep this as fair as possible? And how do you avoid the kind of heated confrontations we've seen in school board meetings over the past couple of years? And he did say, first off, everyone selected and from the um, applications he's seen so far, there's a real interest in taking a look at having a reasonable conversation mm. over reasonable concerns and avoiding political theater and um, and culture wars, polarization. Yeah. So he said, you know, he has a lot of faith in the people who are applying for these uh, positions and also, again, the process. Um, they have to read the books. They have to consider certain criteria. And they have to weigh, okay, let's say maybe I do think some parts of this book are too much for a high schooler. But overall, how does it compare to what else they're seeing? Uh, what are the merits of the book? Is it a literary work that this isn't prurient, this is actually part of the story? Mm -hmm. Or some of these are nonfiction, mm. and they're nonfiction accounts that are pretty graphic. You know, how do you weigh that again? Bottom line, is it appropriate in a high school library? But I really want to emphasize these are not things that are being assigned to kids by teachers. Mm. There's a process for that. Let's say I'm a teacher. I assign you a book. A parent goes, whoa, I don't want that in my child's reading curriculum. You can uh, talk that over with the teacher. Generally, teachers are trained in how to provide an alternative assignment mm. without stigmatizing anybody, without saying, oh, Johnny doesn't want to read this book. And this has been a longstanding practice. Cuppert says technically or traditionally, 99 0.9% of the time, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. It's rare for it to get to this level and certainly rare, again, in Frederick County, as far as he can recall, to see this large number of books um, up for consideration. I'm glad you said they have to read them because for some reason that didn't occur to me that, you know, people might think, oh, I've read Slaughterhouse-Five, but you read it probably 25 years ago mm. and your memory of it may be different than, you know, if you read it today and right. how your, your, you know, life... And our view has changed. Um, Kate, a couple quick questions. This is just for high school libraries? Actually, some of these are in middle school libraries. Okay. All I, right. I, I'm guessing here, but I'm a, 
and I shouldn't, but Judy Bloom, she's a staple in many middle school libraries. Okay. So there are three things that can happen. They can vote to remove a book. They can vote to keep it, saying, sorry, it meets our criteria to it merits staying on the library shelf. Mm. Or they can say, you know what, we're going to move that from the middle school up to the high school. The, a larger, you know, a greater yeah. maturity is needed to read in that book. I wonder if, the, say, I mean, let's just stick with Slaughterhouse-Five. Say that does get removed from the school libraries. I wonder what they're going to do with the books if they just put them in the county libraries, which if I'm a high schooler and you're telling me I can't read this book, guess what I'm going to go do? Definitely going to go read it. I mean, that's what, it's like a <laughs> defiance type thing, I'm right? I'm glad you brought that up because I asked him, I said, you know, do, do you have any idea whether or not these books are popular now? They could, for all we know, be gathering dust. Right. Right? So the moment you say, whoa, these things have content in them, I, I think a lot of high school kids go, well, let's check that out. Um, and he said, absolutely. He said, We'd, I, he said, I can't give you the breakdown now. There is a way they can check circulatory records and mm. see. Yeah. He said, I don't have that in front of me. He said, but I can tell you typically when this happens in other school districts, the sales of the book go up and they suddenly are in circulation and in a lot of demand. So hmm. absolutely. Hmm. Oh, you mentioned this earlier, but like my idea of what's offensive, and I think this is anybody's, has changed over time with how much we're exposed to not only from books, but from media, from streaming, from the news, mm. I mean, kind of just where our our collective temperatures have gone when it comes to t- taking in violence, for example, or um, sexual material, sexual content. Na- content. Thank you. Um, so I wonder if that is going to be weighed at all, because if you had this panel in 1990 where all of your teenagers didn't have access to Netflix and the Amazon internet. and all the, and the Internet, right, and all the things... <laughs> It's like, is it really that offensive compared to what else they could find on their own? Right. But I guess that just, it really is just within the confines of the school, what's the school's responsibility? And this this is part of that whole discussion. And again, a, a school always has to consider um, community standards, just like a regular library does outside the school system. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, your own feelings about what you read as a high schooler, would you let your own child read that today? That can change. So th- this is a really interesting debate. And he also brought something up. He said that while some people are going, great, all this taxpayer money because of three complaints. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, consider this. That is something I think you would want the right if you were just the one person who had a concern. You would want the school system to weigh it. He said, and there is a, a thing called... In principle, it's kind of a finding that if if a court finds precedent for we've got precedent for keeping this on our shelves, they could find in principle this book belongs on our shelves. So they may get through half the list here and go, oh, the others, same concern, precedent or our principle shows mm. they can stay on. So they whether or not they go through the entire 35 is kind of up in the air right now. Huh. I'm assuming that they will in this instance. But in few, this could be an instructive tool in future, is is what he was saying. That next time around, if they say, "Up, oh, if that's the same concern, we've we've already found on principle these deserve a place on our shelves." And you mentioned that thirty-five books. That's a lot of books to be on this again metaphorical chopping block. We've seen nearly a thousand parents wanting to be part of this board. A thousand people, whether that's 
teachers, community members, administrators. That, so we don't know, you know, people. Breakdown. Thank you. Yeah. Do you see those big numbers as part of a trend of greater involvement in public schooling that we've seen after the pandemic? Would you characterize that as part of that trend? You know, I honest to God, I can't say at this point, but I, I do believe when you see a large number of books like this um, up for discussion and you have had uh, school boards much more prominent. I mean, we now have live streaming of these things. And by the way, as a reporter, this kind of grinds my gears. These will not be open meetings. You and I will not be able to Mm. watch them work. And I asked about that, like, come on. And here's the problem or here's the issue. Um, Because this body was created by a regulatory method within the school system, it's not subject to Maryland's open meeting law. Wow. Because there's going to be a large appetite for how these decisions are going to get made. Exactly. Now, I and again, when I brought that concern, I will say Cuthbert said, but please be aware, we, knowing full well that this is going to get a lot of scrutiny, everything is being documented. Mm. And he said, all of the findings are going to be out there. You're going to see the rationale. You're going to see what went into this. Hmm. I am fascinated. He said there are a number of students um, in, involved, and I'm really interested to find out how they feel about yeah. this. I think they're the consumer of these books right. or not. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a very, very interesting. Hopefully we'll see some of that come to light and, and uh, open for discussion later on. Well, it's definitely come to the forefront before the whole idea of banning books, but how Frederick handles it and you know where things go from here, we will see in the new year. Kate Ryan, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks a million. And coming up after the break, we've got some big news, big changes coming here to the DMV Download podcast. Change is good, and we'll talk all about it. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Explain your DNA on on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. And before we go here, we have some news to tell about this podcast. Big news. We're going weekly starting the last week of December. So going from daily DMV download podcast to weekly. Yeah. And it's going to be a different format as well, um, which Luke can talk a little bit more about. But also with this change, I'm going to step back because I'm actually leaving the area. No! <laughs> I've known for a while, but still, no! <laughs> uh, my husband is in the Army. He got transferred out to Colorado Springs, and so I am going to follow him in the spring, which 
you know, is exciting for us. It's a new adventure, all of those yes. things. But it also feels Westward. like, yes, it also feels like I don't want to start this, you know, weekly with you yep. and then have to back away from it later. Yeah. So we're kind of changing things up all at once. It's it's true. I think that's what we thought. It was like, you know, we're going to make some changes. Might as well do it in one foul swoop. This weekly podcast is going to be kind of more of a magazine-y feel, if that makes sense. Kind of paper to radio podcasting analogy there. Um, it's going to be longer form. We're going to get outside of the studio. We're going to meet some people in this area um, and really talk to them for a longer time and then, you know, just have some more produced podcasts on a weekly basis. Yeah. And we've heard from a lot of our listeners, too, that like they love the podcast, but it's hard to get to a podcast every single day. Right. And this will give you a deeper dive on possibly, I mean, it's still going to be local news, but it's going to be more topical. So you're not going to be hearing about everything that happened in the news that day or even that week, Luke is going to have one topic and really go in on it with yeah. the experts. So. And you'll have a whole week to listen to it. So um, I think it just kind of makes sense. You know, it's kind of the deal with podcasts. A lot of podcasts kind of do this. Yeah. And so um, we're really excited. I'm really excited. Obviously, we're really excited for Megan, and we're gonna, we wish the best on her new journey Thank westward. Thank you. Yeah, and for, I mean, I have a couple months before I go, so I'm going to go back to investigative reporting and reporting daily on WTOP, but I can also be on your podcast as well. Yes. Um, depending on what I cover and what comes up. So, end of an era, start of a new one. Here we go. <laughs> and I like the positivity. Yes, no, it's going to be great. It's a total opportunity. I've already got some episodes banked uh, for the weekly, and and it's really exciting. I mean, it's it's fun. It's do you really want to do you want to tease the first one because I uh, think it's really cool. Yes. yes. So the first episode. So many changes happening here. Not only with the podcast, but also WTOP News. They were voluntary buyouts. Ten giants of the newsroom um, opted to take the buyout. And um, so I talked to three of them, Christy King, Deborah Feinstein, and Bruce Allen. Um, They all started here at WTOP in November of 1990, the same month, and they're all leaving the same week. So we jump into a time machine with them. I go into the archives, get some really cool sound. I love it. And they just share their secrets about how they've done it, you know, how they've been here for a combined 96 years at WTOP. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's insane. Um, <laughs> Hopefully so, yeah. you didn't tell them that. That, that probably oh, I makes did. them That's feel old. That's how I started it, not to oh, give away the intro. <laughs> they loved it. So uh, be sure to check that first episode of the weekly DMV download. It's pretty special. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We're still here for a couple more weeks together. And uh, we just wanted to let you know about the change. That'll do it for us today on the DMV Download Podcast. Sure we are will. brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. And our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. Good or bad, we'd love to hear it. You can also find us on social media where we're posting all the time. DMVDownload.com is also our website. Check us out there. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.